We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined this week by a return guest, a personal favorite of mine. He is an author and renowned trainer. He, as a player, he was the 2002 British champion, 2007 Commonwealth champion. As a trainer, of course, he is one of the best-known trainers in the world. He's worked with many of India's top players, including Grandmasters Hare Krishna, Sathuraman, Adiban, and the young Phenom Pragananda, among many, many others. He is a founder of ProChessTraining.com and Chess Gurukul in Chennai, India, and an author, most recently, of the insightful and challenging new book, Improve Your Chess Calculation. So we've got lots to talk about and are excited to welcome back Grandmaster R.B. Ramesh. Welcome. Yeah, hello, Ben. Uh, really happy to be here again. Uh, 
Yeah, so happy to have you. And you joined me on the eve of starting a training camp for the India Olympiad. The Olympiad, of course, is basically the Chess Olympics, a team competition that will be in your hometown of Chennai. Uh, so Ramesh, we were just starting to talk before we recorded and what you were telling me was interesting. So could you uh, share what you will be doing in the next couple of days with our listeners? Yeah, so uh, the Chess Olympiad, as you mentioned, is uh, coming back, uh, coming to India for the first time. And it's going to happen uh, in my hometown, Chennai. So I'm really happy about it. And uh, India will be uh, uh, fielding uh, two teams. Uh, because It's usually one team, but because we are the host, we have the right to field a second team as well. And uh, I've been appointed as coach for the second team. And it consists of players like uh, Nihal Sarin, Pragdananda, Adiban, Gukesh, and uh, Ronak Sadwani. And uh, from tomorrow till the 19th of June, we are going to have our uh, first training camp with the team. And uh, Pragnananda, Gukesh, and Ronak Sadwani will be attending the first camp. Yeah, so just a shockingly strong roster. First of all, for it to be, as you say, the second team um, for India and and to to coach, to to train players of that stature has got to be challenging. So um, how do you go about finding material for these uh, these grandmasters, fellow grandmasters? Yeah, so uh, one, I'm, I have to rely heavily on my experience. I've uh, had a couple of decades of experience uh, working with uh, players from uh, different levels. I've been a coach for the Indian team as well for the last uh, 12 years. So I have had... Uh, the opportunity to work with uh, super strong grandmasters like Hari Krishna, Vidit Gujarati, Sashi Kiran, uh, and even the previous Olympiad, we had uh, Vishyanand uh, among the team. So I'm, I have to rely heavily on my experience working with these players. And I'm also, of course, going to rely uh, heavily from the recently published book, Improve Your Chess Calculation. And I hope uh, the players would not have uh, seen at least Ronak and uh, Gokesh would not have uh, seen the book, at least uh, not in full. That's my one of my hope. <laughs> and I'm also like uh, trying to study their games, uh, trying to analyze uh, you know, these players' games from the last three years and uh, post them some interesting positions where they could have reacted differently than what they did in the game. Yeah, well, that's interesting to me. I mean, these players obviously so strong and rising so fast. So when you look at the games of like uh, Nihal Sarin or Gukesh or your... Uh, all the time student Pragananda, what do you notice? Like, what do they still need to work on? I mean, these are all, they're all like uh, knocking on the top 100 in the world and under the age of 21. Um, so what sort of uh, uh, themes do you highlight? Uh, generally, like uh, from what I have seen, like uh, when I first got an opportunity to work with uh, players around over 2,600, and uh, I used to think like, uh, what can I possibly work with these players and is there any, any way I can uh, positively contribute because they are already very strong uh, but then uh, when I started working with them initially it was with a lot of apprehension but uh, when I started working I realized that they also have their own issues and they are not uh, comfortable in many situations and uh, as a trainer if I can identify those moments where uh, they are not comfortable and that is where uh, the actual learning can take place and uh, I have seen, uh, uh, worked with uh, Prague from when he was like 1700 or so, seven and a half years old uh, kid. Now he's like close to 2650. And I have seen uh, in the journey that uh, at different phases of their career, uh, they evolve. Uh, the kind of mistakes they make, it keeps uh, evolving as they grow stronger. 
but the issues still remain and sometimes like uh, when opponent plays a new move in the opening which they did not expect and uh, how they react sometimes some players typically they slow down considerably and uh, the next few moves also they keep playing very cautiously not to to come out of the opponent's opening preparation uh, unscathed and in the process uh, you know next to few moves they can uh, quickly get into time trouble and make related mistakes so this is one way the other uh, way to react when opponent plays a new move in the opening is uh, you may consider like you have fallen into opponent's opening preparation and you start thinking very negatively and uh, start playing uh, over defensively so i try to identify uh, such moments from these players games and there are many such issues we can identify when we go through these players games for example when uh, prag was playing in tata steel uh, challengers a couple of years ago uh, i noticed that in the first few games he was uh, not changing his pawn structure he was keeping the pawn structure very stable and he was just uh, moving around with the pieces uh, even when uh, uh, one of the main reasons was uh, the pawn breaks were looking quite uh, risky and he was avoiding those uh, risky looking pawn breaks so once uh, i saw the, this pattern emerge in the almost three out of the first five games i on the rest day i showed him uh, these moments where he could have gone for some risky pawn breaks and he was avoiding them and in a few instances you are surprised to see that he did not even uh, notice those moments and in other cases he noticed it but uh, considered them to be uh, too risky and then uh, i showed him some examples where uh, strong players successfully managed to play similar pawn breaks and they got a very active position and uh, after that in the remaining games i could see like uh, prag was more confidently executing those uh, pawn breaks at the first opportunity so there are many things uh, a well trained i can uh, notice and we can bring this to the attention of these players well that's a that's impressive analysis but i guess um that's a, that's why one of the reasons that uh, prag has had so much success and i enjoyed a few of the stories that you told in your book ramesh like such as this uh smislav rubinetti position that you show that you you showed um prag when he was 10 years old um could could you tell that story just of like uh you know the the impressive uh work ethic and calculation ability that he demonstrated from an early age yeah uh, i think like uh, uh, if we have a general look uh, about uh, how chess players progress over a period of time and across uh, geographical locations one thing i noticed is the base of the pyramid you could say like the number of people who come to chess at different uh, age ages it's vast like probably like let's say a million players a million newcomers come to the game every year but hardly few hundreds of them managed to become international masters or grandmasters so the failure rate is pretty high and uh, i used to think it is uh, simply because uh, those few who become successful they are more talented than the others so it's just a question of talent but uh, after having been a player and subsequently a trainer working uh, with different levels of players i understood uh, the training aspect is also very important and a lot of uh, the potential uh, can be brought out successfully with proper training methods and work ethics so that uh, i started focusing more on uh, these aspects 
and one of the thing i noticed is uh, even if we read uh, think like a grandmaster by alexander koto uh, when he was trying to become a grandmaster he wanted to find out that one area where if he can make significant progress he can quickly become a grandmaster and he felt the grandmasters were far superior to him in the area of calculation and uh, he came up with the tree of analysis the candidate most concept and so on and then he uh, as a result he became a grandmaster very soon and uh, that may got me thinking many years ago when i was trying to become a full fledged trainer and uh, in my experience working with many players i understood uh, that uh, one of the things that prevents many players from reaching their potential or growing consistently is their inability to learn how to analyze positions so they rarely learn how to analyze effectively like how to manage the time how to focus better and how to get a decent output after all this uh, invested effort and then uh, among the analysis uh, analytical uh, ability the one key component is the calculation ability so how we calculate variations it can be a short medium or long variation it can be a single line or multiple branches but i felt uh, this is one area many were struggling to learn and improve on their own or even in when they are working with trainers and one of the reasons i felt was uh, the lack of uh, importance given to visualization skill so in uh, even in the good books that have come prior to my book uh, on calculation uh, the visualization uh, part is uh, largely ignored or uh, it is just uh, considered something like equivalent to talent either someone has it or doesn't have it that's it so uh, i felt uh, in my work with uh, young players that at a very young age the visualization skill can be mastered and that's what i was trying to do with uh, pragnananda as well and the smithlow robinetti game probably like 20 or 30 pages of analysis in my laptop uh, i showed it first to the indian team uh, in china before a major event and we had a very great time so i uh, worked on uh, the analysis more and showed the position to prag and we tried to just keep the initial position on the board and uh, calculate all the variations without moving pieces and he was just uh, 10 years old and uh, he was able to do it successfully although i was uh, giving some clues uh, uh, guiding him in the right direction uh, but despite that he was able to not only visualize the position in a set but also find the moves i think uh, this is uh, one area uh, most players should focus and if they manage to do it properly it can uh, bring about quick improvement in their uh, analytical skills Yeah it's again certainly uh been been effective for Grandmaster Pragananda as well as your your many other students now Ramesh one thing that i think that the adults struggle with is like you've mentioned in your writing that uh training should be more challenging than playing you know that training should be 
when you're at the when you're away from the board, you should be working harder than at the board. And I know that you're working with a lot of top young talents. Your book you mentioned several times. It's for ambitious players. But just like speaking from my perspective, and I think more broadly, I think that's the one thing that adults struggle with is, you know, when you have a family and you have kids, like, you know, in theory or a job or whatever it may be, even if you're a grad student with a demanding schedule, um, you know, in theory that you should be training really hard, but it's hard to do that on top of all your other responsibilities. Uh, I mean, is it just that like you can't you can't have it both ways? Is there any other advice to give in that regard? Okay, so uh, from uh, my perspective, like I've been uh, a player myself for a couple of decades and subsequently became a trainer. Uh, and uh, in, from the initial uh, stages of my career as a trainer, I was very clear that I was trying to find ways to improve the human potential, like bring out the human potential and uh, uh, reach uh, our targets our ambitions uh, in the most efficient way possible so my methodology my solutions my whole outlook towards training is geared towards that and uh, it is uh, probably not compatible with uh, casual learners or players who don't have uh, sufficient time to invest in their growth so and uh, in this case adult improvers are uh, uh, so that that is uh, one uh, drawback to my whole uh, uh, teaching uh, philosophy. I am perfectly, uh, and I realize that uh, drawback in my suggestions. And uh, But I think like uh, even for adult improvers who have other, their careers, they have to, they don't have uh, sufficient time to invest. Let us say, even if they can spend one hour a day on their chess. Now, instead of, uh, if they are serious about improvement, if they are casually, interested in playing a game, having fun, there is no need to even uh, think about making a significant improvement in their calculation skills. But if they are serious about making some good improvement, and let's say they have only one hour to spare in a day, uh, probably they should, uh, instead of doing some casual work, they can consider maybe putting some uh, wholehearted time invested uh, for that full hour, maybe that gives a better chance to make progress. And if they can sustain it for, let's say, an year, and if they are uh, happy with the progress they are making, then they can uh, decide to continue in the same path and or maybe increase the time they devote to chess or they can just move to playing casual chess. Yeah, that that's great advice, and I think that I I fall in that category. An hour a day is about what I can spend on a good day, and yeah, I have to admit there are days where what I do is more challenging, and there are days where what I do is not. But I also I have realistic expectations. I'd like to get better, but if it doesn't happen, you know, it's not not the most important thing in life, which is also a realization that people have as life goes on and they, they have families and, and so on. But anyway, I mean, you've got so many great insights in this book about improvement. And, and one point you do highlight is y you do feel like, despite what we might say about like, it's hard if you don't have a lot of time, you do feel like visualization can be improved more than people think. I'd like, I'd like to hear a little more about that. I had a quote from it, but if, I mean, if you could just generally discuss that topic, because I think sometimes people could also just use a pep talk, especially adults. Yeah, uh, I think uh, visualization is something like, uh, let's imagine if uh, I'm standing in a room and there is a wall right in front of uh, my eyes. 
then my ability to see beyond uh, the wall is limited i cannot uh, see what is behind the wall but imagine i am standing uh, on a beach and i see water in front of me probably i can see a few miles ahead because there is nothing to block my uh, eyes so similarly it is uh, our own mental limitations uh, many adult improvers especially they will have they it is possible that they have uh, a low self esteem as far as just con- skills are concerned they might uh, be thinking like i am not good in areas a b c my calculation is not good my attacking skills are not good my openings are not good so they may have uh, many uh, such uh, self limiting uh, impression about themselves and uh, with these are the walls in my view it's like these are the limitations we have uh, uh, imposed upon ourselves over a period of time because we have not worked in these areas when we had the opportunity earlier and then uh, we start believing like we are not good in these areas so one of my philosophy is uh, like weaknesses as uh, generally concerned considered is simply absence of strength so we have not acquired strength in certain areas and we consider we are weak in those areas so weaknesses in my view occurs only after we have invested sufficient time and effort into learning an activity and uh, despite a uh, lot of effort and uh, energy invested uh, we still do not make uh, the expected progress then we can say maybe we are weak in those areas but many times what happens we see even uh, coaches of very young children the parents they say like my son or daughter or my student they are not good in defense they are not good in end games so uh, this kind of uh, prophecies are uh, made and uh, uh, they consider that stu- children are uh, weak in these areas so i think uh, this is a very incorrect approach uh, until and uh, unless the children have invested or an adult improver have invested sufficient time in learning a skill and still not able to do so we should not uh, consider the individual to be weak in those areas so if we can uh, set aside our uh, insecurities and uh, prophecies that we are not good in calculation or visualization and if we can uh, with an open mind approach learning visualization skills and through that improve our calculation skills i think we can see quite significant improvement in our calculation skills just to start with some easy positions uh, not so hard and uh, just look at the position and try to find the answer in your head and if you have uh, uh, come to a conclusion that you have got the answer maybe check it one more time for mistakes and i think this is a very important quality to learn in order to make good improvement in our calculation skills finding mistakes in our own analysis that self critical approach and uh, after checking we are still sure we got the answer then we can uh, see the solution typically what happens in uh, leechers or chess.com or various platforms when we solve puzzles online we typically only think about let's say if it's a white to play and win position we only think about the first white move and then we move the white move on the screen and the computer makes the black move so here we are not even uh, forced to consider our opponent's reply to our first move so uh, this way of uh, solving the puzzle is very ineffective and i have seen many uh, spend hours and hours and days and months without making any reasonable improvement in their analytical skills so while problem solving just uh, not move pieces try to get the complete answer correctly and then check the answer is a better way and if we can do this uh, 
with easier puzzles and then gradually move to tougher ones, I think the visualization skill will automatically get better. Okay, great advice there. And I know you've you've written, I believe it was in your book, Ramesh, that uh, unlike some other trainers, you don't feel it's super important that people write down the answer. It's okay to keep it in your head when, when approaching these, uh, these uh, exercises. Yeah, so when I work with my students, it's usually in groups. I very, very rarely work uh, one-on-one with my students. Even with Prague or uh, Arvind Chirambaram, Karthik and Murli, these are all 2,600 plus grandmasters. We usually have group lessons. And in the same group, we also have uh, players like uh, 1,800, 1,900 hmm. uh, level players sitting uh, in the same group and solving the same positions. And uh, at times what we do, like... Uh, uh, the stronger players will get the solution quickly and then I give them the next position, the next position and so on. But uh, generally, like uh, in such group sessions, I uh, suggest my students to write down the moves and show it to me. Otherwise, they could disturb uh, others. But in general, uh, I feel the training should uh, also stimulate similar environment like in an actual tournament. And in an actual tournament, we don't write down the analysis anywhere because it can uh, become a tool to aid our analytical process. We may become dependent on writing down the analysis, and uh, this is not possible during a tournament. So that is one of the reasons why I suggest my students not to write down the most where possible. And uh, it is also important skill to remember the analysis in our head. And then we also have to know once we finish one branch, we should know at to which moment we need to go back and go to the next branch and if we write it down all this becomes very easy Uh, but when we don't have this opportunity during a tournament we could uh, struggle yeah it's a really good point it's something as i get older i certainly notice that uh when i'm calculating i lose my train of thought more than uh more than i used to something that pragananda probably doesn't struggle with as much but nonetheless it's good to develop those habits early yeah um now, we have a question from a Patreon supporter of the podcast that's related to what we've been discussing. Uh, we've got lots of chess improvement re- related questions uh, coming for Grandmaster Ramesh. But let's get to this one from Michael Favela. Michael, thanks for supporting Perpetual Chess. And he asks, at what rating is it appropriate to begin working with blindfold puzzles? Um, and is there a particular type of puzzle that is best for players new to blindfold solving? So I'm assuming he doesn't just mean end game studies, but actual like as he says, blindfold, where you're presented with a game and asked, uh, you know, presented with the moves from a game or presented with a position. But uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Grandmaster Ramesh? Yeah, uh, my thing is like, uh, probably like many are misunderstanding uh, uh, when I talk about the visualization skills and uh, solving positions blindfold. I don't mean like you don't even uh, look at the initial position. It is very Mm -hmm. important at the initial stages to look at the initial position and then... uh, we just solve without moving the pieces. That's it. So we don't have to be blindfolded, covering our eyes, or we don't even look at the position initially. It is very important to look at the position. It can be from a book or on the monitor, or you can set up the position on the chessboard. You look at the position, think, but we don't move the pieces. We don't see the subsequent analysis. All the subsequent analysis is happening in the head. That is what I mean. Probably many are mistaking it to uh, understand, like, we don't even see the initial position. No, I don't uh, mean that way at all. And uh, regarding the source for material, I think uh, this is something we don't have to worry too much. There are many good puzzle books 
uh, one of my students they asked when i was working with a young group of uh, players they were asking a similar question like can you suggest some good books for solving puzzles so i shared my screen uh, typed in google chess puzzle books and we got like million answers <laughs> so any of uh, the any of those books is uh, good enough so we don't have to worry too much about the quality of the material because any decent book should be good enough uh, we should focus rather on the quality of our effort like once we see the position how we focus on the position how we approach the position like uh some of the common in one of the chapters i have mentioned the common mistakes players make while calculating and one of the thing is like they don't make a list they start analyzing what or move that comes to their head and this is one uh, major problem and the court of had identified it many decades ago so the principle of candidate moves is really useful that i have seen in practice and the other is uh, looking for forcing moves uh, this also serves lot of uh, time and energy because i have noticed uh, an untrained mind they will go to some quiet move and try to make it work for many minutes and they, they get frustrated in the process so if you pay attention to looking at forcing moves making a list and then uh, eliminate the ones which do not work move to the next move in the list so if we can start with some simple puzzles from any decent book i think it should uh, work out fine okay yeah and to michael's question michael i don't know your exact level but um if you message me i can probably give more targeted recommendations and uh grandmaster ramesh in our first interview when i asked him for book recommendations he rattled off about 20 off at the top of his head uh yeah. so you can find lots in there and uh and i've mentioned before but for for adults who are say uh 1000 to 1200 level one one recommendation in particular is the visualized course on chessable which specifically trains looking ahead in positions um and just one quick follow up Uh, Ramesh so what about the actual aspect of playing blindfold as opposed to just solving visualization studies i think a lot of adults um might get like uh decide that they want to specifically train playing blindfold do you think that that's a worthwhile investment of time or is uh solving puzzles uh sufficient i think uh, solving puzzles is uh, sufficient we we have to be uh, very clear about the reason for doing these things for example uh, playing a blindfold game it's more fun and it can give us confidence if we are able to do it but uh, practically uh, to improve our visualization skills analytical skills just the solving puzzles without moving pieces but having a look at the initial position is sufficient for example when i work with prag or uh, other grandmasters or many good players i have worked with we never uh, try solving positions blindfolded uh, because we don't simply feel the need to do it so uh working specifically on uh, playing blindfold games i don't think it's practically required it can be a fun aspect it can give us uh, confidence if you are able to do it but beyond that i don't see a necessity to do that okay and one thing i'd add is your book it's it's pretty challenging there are especially towards the end there are some some level 1 and level 2 type end game studies that that players i would say below 1800 can tackle but beyond that even though it's not blindfold puzzles there are many puzzles where the variations go very deep you know it might be like an 8 to 10 move solution so that in a sense is blindfold as you say it's just kind of like a more game like scenario where you're not starting from scratch you're starting from a specific position but it's right there in front of you yeah so in the book i have tried to uh, 
give the positions for five different levels of players. Uh, so in uh, every chapter, in every topic I am discussing, I try to give positions for level one, level two, level three, level four, level five. So uh, for the players, and I've also given the rate, probable rating bracket for each level. So for every player, it's better to first look at which bracket you fall under and then try to work only on that level positions. So if you belong to the first level category, it's better to first solve all the first level positions in the book and then go to the second level puzzles uh, in whatever chapter we are at. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, and we've got a bunch of chess improvement Q&A, and I want to talk about uh, Grandmaster Viswanathan Anand's recent exploits, but Ramesh, first we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. Listeners, I just got the latest analytical breakdown of my Blitz game from aimchess.com. On aimchess, you can break down your Blitz games, your Rapid games from all of the major chess sites. It collects the games on its own and provides you actionable information and puzzles. In my case, my openings are good. My tactics are decent. I need to work on advantage capitalization. And one of the cool things about aim chess is it lets you practice it within the site. So I got to practice positions that I failed to win in blitz against a strong engine. And guess what? I showed that engine what is up. So that's one of the many ways you can use aimchess.com to work on your game. If you decide to check it out, and subscribe. You can use the code PERPETUAL30 to save 30%. You also can just use the link in the show description. So be sure to go to aimchess.com, check it out for free, and subscribe if you like it. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we are back. And Ramesh, before we get back to lots of chess improvement type talk, um, I did want to talk about your compatriot, your fellow Chennai native, as we record this here on June 8th. Uh, he is half a point back in Norway chess. Now, this will be over in two days. This will be over by the time people hear this episode. So you guys will know how it finished. But whether Anand wins it, comes in fourth, comes in second, it's an amazing achievement for a 52-year-old. Um, obviously, he's. you've talked in the past about how he shaped your career. He was an inspiration for your, for your pursuing chess. But I'm just curious, first of all, does this even surprise you? Is there anything Anand does that, that could surprise you at this point, Ramesh? Uh, like, uh, uh, as you mentioned uh, rightly, like I came to chess uh, largely because of Anand when he became a grandmaster late 88, early 89. That is when I came to chess uh, inspired by his exploits and I wanted to become a grandmaster like him. Uh, and uh, I retired from chess active playing in 2008 and uh, when I was 32 years old. And now Anand is 52. So even when I quit chess as a 32-year-old, I felt I'm quite old in chess terms. Uh, but uh, playing at this high level at the age of 52, it's uh, really amazing. Not many can uh, keep motivation and energy level so high at this age. And uh, in the last few couple of years, uh, I have had a uh, uh, lot of chances to interact with uh, him in person and also in chats. 
uh, we have become uh, more friendly in the last 3 4 years and uh, also i discuss a lot about uh, how i can be effective with prags career because he has been uh, making rapid progress and uh, anand is one who has gone through this this journey himself so he will have a lot of information to share and guide us so he has been very helpful in uh, guiding me on how i should work with prag and so on and uh, so when uh, the 2013 match against carlson happened in chennai i was a commentator uh, in one of the tv channels during the match and i felt very pessimistic about anand's chances after the match i thought uh, so it's time uh, youngsters have taken over from anand so it's like uh, one generation is taking over from the other so i felt uh, it will be very hard for anand to make a comeback this was in 2013 9 years ago <laughs> and uh, when the match finished within a couple of months he played in the candidates and won very convincingly and he qualified to play magnus again the next year's world championship so i was shocked uh, beyond the comprehension like it was amazing to me i i had almost given up hope on anand after that loss but within a couple of months he beats every other player and qualifies to play against magnus in the world championship so i was uh, shocked back then and uh, thereafter he has won uh, many strong events he has won the world rapid and blitz and uh, the last couple of years he has hardly played uh, any major events and i was not very sure uh, about his performance here but uh, even in the uh, rapid and blitz which has happened uh, just few uh, few d- weeks ago prior to this and also here his performance has been phenomenal and he has also uh, he has this capability to overcome his shortcomings when the need arises like he is playing much quicker now and is playing more confidently is taking decisions more confidently so he's able to raise his level as per the demand and uh, that is amazing and it's uh, if for the youngsters uh, who are watching and also for the adult improvers he's showing uh, age is just a number and uh, with uh, the proper attitude and work ethics lot can still be achieved Yeah, absolutely incredible. Um I mean, I put this up there with I mean, of of all his achievements, this is this is up there with any of them to do this at age 52 in the modern climate. I mean, of course there are historical stories of like Smislav making the candidates and Korchnoi remaining strong, uh world class into his 70s, but in this modern era, it's become increasingly rare and here he is back in the top 10 on a 2700 chess. Now, I ha- I have to follow up Ramesh hearing hearing this kind of glimpse behind the curtain of uh him sharing some advice that you could impart to Pragananda and your other uh prodigy students. Um is there any bit of advice that comes to mind that you could share that Anand uh gave you um on behalf of uh Pragananda and your other students? No, there are uh, many issues like uh, uh like when uh, Prag uh, uh becomes defensive after a loss like uh, sometimes i notice like when he loses a game in the next couple of games he doesn't take much risk and uh, he used to react kind of defensively and also slow down a lot before taking decisions uh, because uh, the loss has had some impact on his confidence and that is reflecting in hesitate hesitations in taking decisions and poor time management so when i sp- spoke with anand like Uh, how should i intervene should i intervene during the tournament uh, so that 
in the subsequent games he doesn't make this mistakes or should i wait for the tournament to conclude and then uh, have a talk on this top subject he said like uh, as a player uh, he will be making mistakes is very young and upcoming so it's better not to uh, discuss these issues in the middle of a tournament and rather wait for the tournament to complete and uh, handle these issues and uh, so this has been very helpful as well uh, because we are not uh, emphasizing on uh, the negatives alone because uh, when we try to correct the so called weaknesses uh, in the middle of a tournament we can end up easily reinforcing them instead <laughs> so by right. talk, be talking about it discussing it in uh, threadbare detail so that is something i have found very useful and uh, also like uh, regarding the opening choices uh, what should be the approach uh, and how we study the opponents games to identify their weaknesses so there are many instances yes uh, and he also has shared many of uh, his own experiences like he has had like whenever i discuss a problem about uh, a possible problem about uh, prague he will say like yeah i have been through similar situation it's like reliving his past <laughs> right <laughs> so it just uh, comes my nerves as well so i don't uh, worry too much after uh, discussing with him and and prague of course uh, he's has a litany of achievements but uh one that made a lot of news was his recent uh his recent um victories against magnus carlsen as as a trainer what what did it feel like the first time it happened were you were you shocked or not really at that point okay so when it happened uh, the tournament started at 10:30 in the morning uh, in the night uh, in india and <laughs> it went till like uh, 3 a.m. in the morning and uh, i also work with uh, many other players and i have some regular students from the us as well so for whom uh, i take lessons at 5 uh, in the morning indian time so uh, for uh, at the time i was also writing this calculation book for new inches and uh, i had a lot of work to be done so we decided uh, before uh, the tournament that uh, for around 10 10 to 15 days we will be sleeping at 3 in the morning uh, so that prag will be ready and he will not be sleepy while playing uh, these guys so uh, on that particular day when he was supposed to play magnus he had already beaten uh, aronian in the first round mm-hmm. on that day and drew with uh, anish i think and uh, uh, so this was uh, the fourth game of the day and uh, i went to bed i just wished him all the best in whatsapp and went to bed woke up at 5 and saw that he had beaten uh, magnus so <laughs> the first time he beat sanand i was uh, sound asleep <laughs> i could say but uh, really happy that it happened and it has given him confidence that he can uh, take on uh, the best place in the world we knew that he will reach this point but i'm just happy it came uh, much earlier yeah just just amazing and do you ever obviously an ambitious kid is going to have dreams about things they can achieve in their career as a trainer do you ever let your mind wander about like what could happen with someone like prog say 5 years down the road obviously he gets mentioned as a potential world championship uh contender in the future yeah um like our philosophy like even when uh, prog was young i remember like uh, uh, my philosophy is always uh, just focus on the work uh, the work we do basically like on the effort we put Uh, on uh, making ourselves better and this has always been uh, the priority in my own playing career in all aspects of my life i just try to give my best not really worry too much about the consequences and uh, there are only so many things in our control and uh, most of the things are 
slightly beyond our control so we have to focus our energy concentration on things which we do which are in our control we can influence them effectively so this has been my philosophy so i remember when prag was uh, 10 years old before he became uh, an world's youngest international master so myself and uh, prag and arvin chirambram who was also a young kid back then we were having a training camp for 10 days and in the camp prag did extremely well so uh, he had uh, two im norms at that point so i just told him like prag you are analyzing very well so i don't think you should be playing for im norm you can even uh, get a gm norm if you put your mind into it then uh, 10 year old prag uh, immediately asked me like uh, you have been telling me not to focus on results not to play for norms or ratings all these years and now you are asking me to play for a gm norm what should i do so mm-hmm. this has been our uh, philosophy like uh, he wants to be the world champion i know it from for from when i was very young but uh, that is uh, that ambition is mainly to motivate oneself to work very hard because you have to work extremely hard if you want to become a world champion there's there are no shortcuts to this uh, so and he has to be ready to fight with the best players not be afraid of them he has to believe that he can beat these guys uh, along the way so i don't really spend time thinking what could happen in the future so okay yeah that's a good it's a good attitude and i know we discussed prior in a prior interview that you you're a practitioner of mindfulness and encourage that uh with um with pragananda as well um so i think that's a good sort of uh focus on the now type approach um now ramesh we've got a lot of questions to get to so let's let's hop into them uh from listeners from supporters of the podcast this one is from jonathan evans who writes in and he writes I just bought your book Improve Your Chess Calculation. I look forward to reading it. So he his first question is you mentioned that it's a series of books and how many in the series are you planning? And the second is do you plan to do a chessable course? Yeah. Uh thank you Jonathan. Uh yeah, uh so this is uh, the uh, part one of a series and uh, hopefully I'll publish two or maybe even three more books on this series. Uh, the first one i wanted to start with calculation uh, because uh, i have a lot of experience working with uh, different generation of players in this area and i wanted to share my views on this subject and uh, i'm also planning to do a chessable course on the same topic uh, the calculation based on the new chess calculation book so hopefully it will also be out soon That's great. Yeah, I it, I think it's a good course for chessable because a lot of these calculation exercises um people may want to come back to do do more than once in order to appreciate all the nuances. Um and of course there's a lot of variations that one could play through. So, um do you have any I know that that these things it can be tough to put a timeline on them, but do you have any rough estimate of uh when the chessable course would be coming, Ramesh? Uh I'm not really sure because uh uh i'm uh, not so good at uh, keeping up the timeline i promised to the publishers <laughs> because <laughs> happened uh, uh, a couple of times in the past uh, the main reason is like i'm constantly working uh, with many players and it is taking up uh, most of my time so i hardly get time to put down my thoughts uh, in a book format so i took like uh, an year uh to write the first book even though i had the positions analyzed and checked with the engines just adding text part and editing 
and checking the lines with the engines i was not getting sufficient time to do that so i'm uh, really afraid to give a timeline but the chessable course i think uh, it uh, the discussions are on hopefully i hope in the ne- before uh, next six months i should be able to complete it and then uh, possibly in a year from now the second uh, book in the series should be out hopefully Excellent. Well, we know you're extremely busy, so uh, it's totally understandable and makes me appreciate all the more you're taking the time to do this interview, especially on the eve of this uh, training camp, as we mentioned. Um, So another question is from Michael Allard, who asks, he says, how do you advise your, and you you actually discussed this a bit with um, about Pragananda, but he says, how do you advise your students to handle analyzing emotionally difficult losses? Often I find analyzing losses like this to be very disheartening since I'm reliving pain from the game. Are these the most important to analyze deeply since they had such a big impact? Or is it okay to do a quick analysis and, and not so as not to be discouraged? As an amateur, it's definitely not a fun thing to do, but I am motivated to improve. Yeah, uh, that's a really, really important question. I think... Uh, uh, I think generally, like uh, what I have seen in my experience as a player and subsequently as a coach and now as an author, is most of the chess improvement books are uh, written either by players from a player's perspective. Now, let's say a world champion writing a book and he writes from his perspective as a player. He is extremely strong and he has largely forgotten uh, the journey which he has had uh, from the formative years. So most of the issues which were very important in the initial stages of his career, he probably does not even uh, remember them. And this I have seen uh, even when I discuss with uh, uh, Anand. Many issues like he will, uh, it will be like very alien issue to him. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm sure like when he was young and upcoming, these issues were uh, uh, occupying significant space in his mind. And uh, so in general, I feel chess psychology is something very largely ignored area. Um, the players are not going into it in their books. The authors are not delving too deeply on these issues. And if uh, some author is touching this issue, is is generally not ac- very accomplished as a player himself. So it, they really actually don't understand the issue in a way they should have been before writing these issues. So I feel uh, uh, this is one area that can make significant impact uh, on how chess training needs to be done at different levels. And I hope with my books and chessable courses, I'll be able to share my view of things, which I'm not claiming to be correct or uh, one-stop solution for everything. But I hope it will start this process where uh, the players, the coaches, they start uh, giving the importance it deserves. And regarding the handling of disappointments, I think this is one of the key areas which prevents many players from reaching their potential. So I have thought a lot and discussed a lot with uh, players from different levels and different generations, different geographical locations, and the issue seems to be the same. Uh, Humans simply don't like to lose. And uh, the reason why we don't like to lose could be many. One, it can be uh, one very common factor is the possible negative reaction from others. Uh, we fear like others will judge us poorly when we lose games. And uh, I try to tell my students not to worry about worry on this aspect. And it will be surprising. Uh, every Most of us, we want to be looked up 
and we don't want to be looked down upon. So we imagine that when we lose games, others are judging us negatively. And uh, this is one fear. The second is the possible uh, effect, negative impact it can have on our rating. Like when we lose games, the rating can drop maybe 20, 30 points for uh, players with uh, high K factor. So this is another factor they are constantly thinking about. Even when playing the game, even when they see the pairings, that if I lose to this guy, I'm going to lose 20, 30 points. So this is always playing in the back of their mind and they are not able to focus on the position in their game. So handling disappointments is extremely important. And uh, for this, I try to suggest my students, like it's a matter of focus. Instead of focusing on what could go wrong and what can happen if things go wrong, instead, if we can focus our concentration, if we can focus on our energy into the position in front of us, then uh, probably we can come up with better analysis, better quality of analysis. And this, in a way, will guard us against negative results happening as often as they are happening currently. And the other thing is, when things go wrong, how we react is also extremely important. Uh, it is very important. Uh, disappointments are fine. Getting hurt, getting sad is okay. But it should happen in a way it doesn't affect our confidence. We should not start doubting ourselves after every loss. We can feel sad. We can feel bad. It's okay. But quickly collect your thoughts. Try to forget it. Distract your mind. Maybe watch some, if it's a child, you can watch some cartoons or you can watch some Marvel movies, <laughs> whatever. Uh, try to distract your mind. Stop thinking about the painful loss. Don't relive it again and again in your mind. Try not to overanalyze. Try not to think the, all the possible good continuations you missed. Uh, instead of talking about this to others, I've seen like some players when they lose, they call everyone and show the game and say like, in this position, I made this mistake. <laughs> and uh, so it's better to quickly forget uh, those losses and uh, simply by concentrating on something, some other activity, this is possible. And then uh, we have to focus on the next game. So it is disappointments without affecting confidence is the key. Okay, that's great advice. Yeah, and something that never goes away. I, everyone has to deal with it at, at, at one point or another. So, um, okay, and we've got another question from Shubham Kumthakar. Uh, thanks for supporting the pod, Shubham. And he asks, um, what are some key improvement realizations that you've had through your coaching experience? And he also asks, and you can pick either one of these, uh, Ramesh, what are some common calculation mistakes that even grandmasters tend to make? No, with grandmasters also, like one I have seen, uh, the tendency to just uh, straight away go into the first move that comes to their head is very, uh, very pulling. Uh, because, but in their case, like they are trust, trying to trust their intuition because they are so strong. Uh, in a strong players' case, the intuition is rarely guiding them in the right direction. So they try to, and Dorotsky has suggested many times to trust our institution in, instincts. But I think that applies largely to stronger players, not at the lower level. Because at the lower level, the instincts are not so well developed, so well evolved. So it's better to rely more on uh, the result of the analysis at the lower level, except in case of time trouble where we have to rely on intuition. But at the higher level, uh, they can guide their calculation uh, in the way intuition takes them. And regarding... Uh, improvement realizations one thing is like try not to categorize yourself into 
one uh, small circle like i've seen many players even at their formative years they brand themselves as i'm a positional player or i'm a tactical player i'm an attacking player uh, kind of uh, brands because once you brand yourself then what will inevitably follow is you will try to play only those kind of positions like if i call myself an attacking player then i try to keep attacking in every game i play and uh, even in my preparation i will see only attacking games and when i try to learn openings i will try to choose only attacking variations and when we focus only on one aspect of the game over a period of time we will become weak in all other areas so it's very important we don't brand ourselves into one category in the formative years we can say i like to attack i'm good in attacking chess for now and then that leaves the stage open for learning other ideas as well we don't close those other doors yeah that that's a good advice for sure um i yeah and it's interesting i i felt like i was an attacking player when i was younger and now that i'm older i don't feel that way anymore but but uh it's um it i do see people try to steer too much into certain types of positions and uh yeah it can be limiting for for sure and on the topic of candidate moves you just want to share with listeners that you you write extensively about it in improve your chess calculation and uh there's definitely some great advice there and we should mention as is always the case with uh new in chess books there's a free excerpt of uh, grandmaster ramesh's book uh on the new in chess website and i'll <clears throat> link to that so that uh listeners can check that out um uh, we have another listener question for you ramesh which is uh from dipankar ghosh and he writes um he asked about prague but we we've, we've are we've already gleaned a lot of insights about prague so i'll focus on uh the second part of his question, which is, he says, uh, Divya Deshmukh has been doing well in her recent tournaments. For any youngsters, I'm not one myself. What are some qualities or training methods that you can learn from from her recent success? I think I worked with I worked with uh, Divya Deshmukh as well for many years, and uh, currently she is working with uh, Coach Srinath Narayan. And uh, from my experience, I have seen like even uh, Divya. I mean, all the young players who are doing well, because uh, Dipankar has identified himself as a young player himself. So I will uh, uh, talk from that, in that context. So for young players, it's important to, uh, one, as I mentioned before, don't brand yourself into one category. Uh, if you feel that you are good in a particular area, work more in that area, be more confident, gain experience, and then start working on other areas as well. So it is something like if you are a 16-year-old, you have not yet learned how to drive a car. So you cannot say, I'm weak in driving, right? We have simply not even made an effort to learn those learn driving. So you have to keep yourself open that you can learn any aspect of the game. If you have sufficient interest, invest sufficient time and energy into learning it. it just is a learnable skill uh, for a very large extent so we have to believe in this and uh, try to learn all aspects of the game especially areas which we don't feel comfortable or we don't like for example there are players who say like end games are boring i don't like i hate end games so it's very important for such players to make special effort into learning end games so if we start avoiding areas then we will become weak in those areas and uh, our growth will be curtailed after some time. So that is one thing I would say. And you have to invest time. If you are young, uh, 
you don't have too many responsibilities in your life yet so you can afford to spend more time on your chess improvement if that is your passion so try not to have uh, any shortcuts and also one other suggestion is not to outsource your learning to coaches or books you have to learn the game through your own effort and that can be done by asking critical questions when you are looking at games or solving positions ask yourself why this move is played what principle they are trying to apply are there any calculation behind this move so try to ask critical questions and try to provide solutions yourself this self learning is also extremely important yeah i enjoyed your anecdote in the book where obviously you're one of the most renowned trainers in the world so you you mentioned that sometimes new students will come to you and they feel that because of your stature as a trainer they can just work with you once a week and then they'll get better you know but but you you have to explain to them that doesn't no matter who you are no matter who your trainer is it's the person doing the work on their own that uh that that will lead to most of the progress yeah Sad truth, but uh, but but I mean, hopefully, uh, people enjoy the process. Um, Ramesh, we need to take one more break to hear from our sponsors, and then uh, I'd like to discuss the book a little more, and hopefully, get your thoughts on the candidates too. Listeners, it's finally here. Sharashevsky's Endgame Strategy, one of my favorite chess books of all time, is getting the chessable treatment revised and expanded. And the video presentation is done by none other than 2018 U.S. champion Grandmaster Sam Shanklin. And guess what? They have a free one-hour video that you can check out on the principle of two weaknesses done by Shanklin himself. So that's just one of the many offerings from Chessable.com. They also, of course, are constantly dropping new opening, endgame, tactics courses, all of which feature their proprietary move trainer technology to help you uh, remember what you learn. So the links for anything mentioned, as always, are in the show description. So be sure to check out Chessable.com for Endgame Strategy and all of their other new material. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we are back. And there's so much good stuff in Improve Your Chess Calculation. But I did highlight a few quotes that I thought it might be fun for you to just sort of expound upon. So are you up for me reading a quote or two, Ramesh? And then you could share, uh, maybe elaborate on it a little bit. Sure. Excellent. So uh, one thing that that caught my attention is you write, I have personally trained players with ratings in the range of 1,400 to 1,800 to analyze the variations that players of previous generations with a rating range of 2,200 to 2,400 were unable to do. This is one of the reasons my students in the 9 to 14 age group can quickly become international masters or grandmasters. With proper training, they can be taught to analyze at a much higher level than was thought possible earlier. Unfortunately, the limitations we set on our mind also grow with our age. Yeah. Uh, so I think, like, uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, 
like uh, koto he identified calculation as one area where uh, if we can make significant progress he can become a grandmaster and uh, i was very good in calculation when i was young when i was new to the game that was one of my core strength areas but uh, when i read the thing like a grandmaster and subsequently uh, uh, the book by john nan uh, uh, secrets of practical secrets chess of practical chess uh, he also uh, takes uh, Koto suggestions to the next level there were some limitations there were some corrections that can be made in his uh, way of thinking and subsequently in the book attack and defense by dorotsky uh, krasenko had written an article wandering in the jungle in that article also he tries to give his own uh, view on these issues uh, so i think like uh, uh, this is uh, one area where we can uh, work properly at a very young age and uh, if we train properly it is possible to improve very quickly and uh, many of the young children i work with uh, even when they are like 8 9 10 years old they can uh, start visualizing uh, pages of analysis in their head without moving pieces and uh, when they are able to do this and see for themselves it is through their own effort they are able to do these things it gives a tremendous boost to their uh, confidence so that's one of the reason why uh, prag became an im at the age of 10 gm at the age of 12 uh, because he has seen for himself what his mind is capable of doing and uh, many of the typical uh, limitations one imposes like i am not good in this i am not good in that so i try to teach them like whatever you want to learn you can learn but you need to put the effort i think uh, this is uh, one of uh, my key reasons for being a successful coach i would say so for all the young children out there don't set limitations push your limits there are no limits it's only in your mind okay and what about for our older listeners ramesh what, what would you say to them so for older uh, things like older uh, adult improvers uh, this is a very uh, very serious topic i would say again uh, as i mentioned earlier the psychology is very largely ignored and people see only improvement in terms of technical things like i am not good in calculation so if i become good in calculation then i'll become a good player i am not good in attack if i become good in attack i'll become a good player so this is how they view things but if we don't go into the psychology what prevented us from becoming good in these areas where we want to grow for example if i am not calculating well i want to improve my calculation have i put enough effort earlier in my career at any point of time let's say when i was 10 year old or 10 to 15 year old or 15 to 20 year old whatever so had i invested time in earlier part of my career to make progress in calculation or not that is one thing and second uh, if not then we are still like that 16 year old who has never tried uh, how to drive we are in that situation so now what what could be the possible limitations as we grow older one when young we have very less experience about life in general and not many negative experiences we have gone through so that makes our mind very receptive very confident sometimes arrogant but these are all good when you are young and you are very hopeful that you can accomplish whatever you set your mind to because you have not had many negative experiences in your life 
so you don't become a pessimistic person <laughs> when you're young <laughs> it's very rare <laughs> haven't haven't been beaten down yet <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, but as you mature in life you have a variety of experiences go through difficulties uh, have taken a lot of beatings in your real life in your career and possibly in chess as well then that can uh, moderate uh, our uh, self confidence it can have a moderating impact on our uh, self confidence and uh, we start li- setting limitations i am not good at this i am not good at that i cannot do this i don't like this so our likes and dislikes our limitations they become firm and we start believing them and the more we start believing in our limitations uh, they become uh, barriers in the learning process if i think i am not good in calculation then it is very difficult to learn calculation not because i cannot learn calculation because i believe i cannot become good so that will always be like a stone tied around the swimmer's leg so mm-hmm. even if you practice swimming you build your muscles the stone will still do its job so unless you can untie the stone and with your current strength you can swim better without any training so the limitations uh, we build many such barriers to learning as we grow i think like we start getting doubts about our memory we start getting doubts maybe at this age i cannot remember at this age i don't think i can learn at this age i don't think i can do this so these limitations i think will be the major barrier to learning okay yeah that's that's great advice i'd certainly um happen yeah um i'll leave it there because we we have another quote to get to uh so <laughs> so you talk about uh the drawback principle and i'll uh read a quote when we pay attention to the good side of a coming move by the opponent and do something about it we call this prophylactic thinking but many moves also have a bad side to them suppose we can identify the drawback of the opponent's previous move and do something about it to our advantage this is called the drawback principle humans had enjoyed the benefits of gravity before newton codified it similarly all the strong chess players have been applying this kind of thinking in their games um prophylaxis is primarily valuable for static positions drawback is very effective in dynamic positions yeah uh, so this is again uh, another principle which has been largely ignored uh, everyone has spoken about prophylaxis whenever they talk about positional chess the first thing they talk about is prophylactic thinking and uh, unfortunately like the other side of the coin has been largely ignored like when opponents make mistake because as i said uh, the books are written largely by players and uh, even though they are applying certain technical things in their think their different thinking methods when they are thinking in a game they are not able to make theory out of uh, this they don't identify the process and uh, explain them so i think this is the drawback principle which is basically looking for the negative side to the opponent's previous move is also equally important like the prophylactic thinking but in prophylactic thinking uh, like we already have some advantages going in our favor for example in a static position where we are slightly better the position is already in our favor and uh, our opponent can have only one or two ways to create counterplay and if we can identify those counterplay at the right moment and uh, curtail it then uh, our advantage remains uh, for longer and then once our opponent's counterplay is uh, negated we can uh, keep improving our position and the advantage grows but in uh, 
complex situations where things are more forcing in nature in dynamic positions i think uh, the principle of drawback is extremely important and uh, it is uh, the way i explain to my students is like uh, drawback principle is like trying to shoot a bird which is flying in the air so for example like you ro- load the gun and when you are loading the gun the bird will be here and when you are in the process of loading the bird is already flying and uh, so you cannot be aiming where the bird was when you were at the process of loading the gun so as you load the gun the bird is moving and so you have to aim accordingly right <laughs> so basically yeah. you have to follow the opponent's move and uh, with each move he is making some compromise and we have to identify the new compromise that has been made so we would have played a move with a particular idea on the previous turn and uh, for our move our opponent would have reacted in a particular way which would have created a new problem for him so we have to react to the new issue he has created that's the concept yeah. of drawback great yeah and you've got some some great examples of it in the book uh, I, i think a helpful phrasing for uh amateur players might just be to ask like what has changed in the position given the move and i think that often like pawn moves in particular obviously get highlighted because uh mm. pawns don't move backwards um and and as a follow up ramesh in a forthcoming podcast um a friend of the pod christopher shabri had had a question about um differentiating static and dynamic positions which of course you talk about in your book uh in as well as your other materials um and i think he was particularly interested in say you're calculating a variation you you talk in your book about there are situations where someone just stops calculating too early you know they 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 stop at a certain point and then they miss a follow up for the opponent so christopher was looking for any sort of guidance about like when in a variation you've reached a static position how someone can know that it's safe air quotes to stop calculating for for a given position yeah so one is like if there is an obvious gain in the analysis for example you start calculating a variation and at one point you are gaining material let's say you win a pawn then probably that's a good moment to stop the analysis because there is a gain uh, to our whole effort and then you can stop the analysis there and try to evaluate but uh, we also have to see sometimes uh, at the higher level even if we win a pawn in a variation our opponent's pieces become very active in the process earlier his pieces were passive and the material was equal but at the end of the variation we are winning a pawn but our opponent's pieces become active or for example we have a good attack going against the opponent king and uh, after a forced sequence of moves we are winning a pawn but our attack slows down and the opponent's king becomes slightly safer than it was before so in such moments the evaluation becomes very critical and you can say i'm i won a pawn and stop the analysis and thinking we are better or many times the strong players would say no winning the pawn here is not worth it because my opponent's pieces are becoming more active or that will give him compensation in the long run which is not quantifiable or uh, my opponent's king becomes safer my attack has slowed down so i don't want to win this pawn so the evaluation is uh, very critical and uh, so that means uh, how we evaluate the position where we stop the analysis is the key if you are able to confidently and reasonably correctly evaluate a position in our favor then that is a good point to stop but this is something we need to learn through practice and the other thing uh, other indication could be where the forced moves are running out so forced moves are check capture threat and i also add pawn breaks with my students i consider pawn breaks as forcing moves as well so when the forcing moves are running out that is probably a good moment to stop the analysis because 
whatever analysis we do beyond that point could be in the realm of uh, our own imagination and they are not forced so probably that is another indication where we have to stop the analysis okay great advice yeah and for for more on the art of evaluation there will be a forthcoming podcast with uh, grandmaster eugene perlstein and fm nate solon uh, on that topic discussing their book now ramesh i know you're a busy guy so we we don't want to keep you too much longer but we've got a couple uh candidates related questions uh this will come out um just three days before it starts um and the first one relates to ali reza Faruja. so this question is from Aiko. And he writes in and says, first, I'd like to say I enjoyed the excerpt from your new book so much that I bought the book from the Forward Chess app. It's a joy to read it. My question is, what are your thoughts about Faruja's rapid improvement? In the recent years, we've seen many hardworking talents like Prague, Nihal, Gukesh, Kaimar, and so on. And they have slowly passed 2,500 and then 2,600, yet to pass 2,700. But Faruja suddenly passes everyone to reach 2,800. Uh, is there any explanation for this? And lastly, what are your thoughts about Ali Reza's chances in the upcoming candidates? I think uh, a couple of issues here. One, it's not uh, uh, fair in my view to compare uh, one player with the other, but I understand uh, the world views uh, differently on this. I'm fine with it. Uh, <laughs> regarding uh, Ali Reza, uh, he has uh, been uh, showing phenomenal progress and unfortunately has not been as active in the last uh, probably since the lockdown and him moving from Iran to France has uh, not been very active. Uh, but I have been um, studying his games as well when he was making that progress, reaching the 2800 uh, mark. Um, one thing is like uh, regarding Prag, Nihel, uh, Gukesh, Kimar and so on, uh, they also lost a couple of years. For example, Prag, when the lockdown happened, he was 14 years old and he was already 2600. And then when the lockdown was uh, finishing, he's already like a 1600 with the same rating, (laughs) 16-year-old with the same rating. Uh, So uh, same happened with uh, Firuza as well. But uh, when Firuza was going towards 2800, he did not have to go through this uh, couple of years break in between. And uh, from what I have seen, uh, all the players we have mentioned, uh, the rating has been uh, growing uh, steadily. And with every tournament they are playing, they are uh, consistently improve their, improving their rating. So it remains to be seen in the next one year how things pan out. Because uh, I think Prague is uh, 16 years old now. Gukesh is uh, just 15. So they probably have like a couple of years uh, before they reach what uh, Ali Reza has done. So if they're able to reach 2800 levels, then uh, it's not such a bad thing. And uh, Ali Reza has been a phenomenally active player. His opening preparation has been uh, very good. And he handles complicated situations very well. Uh, but uh, there are still some areas of concern. For example, his uh, uh, loss against Magnus uh, in uh, from the wide side of uh, Rylopas, it showed uh, some of his uh, shortcomings in the game. Like uh, Carlson, he just uh, won without much... Uh, effort, you could say, uh, positionally outplayed him. So there are some uh, areas of concern uh, in Alireza's uh, arsenal, but he's very young. I'm sure uh, he would have noticed, his team would have noticed these issues as well, and they'll be working on those issues. And regarding his chances in the candidates, I think he's uh, very good prospects, but as I mentioned, uh, has not been very active recently and remains to be seen what impact it has had in his preparation. I think his uh, opening preparation, he might come up with a lot of uh, surprises, new openings. Um, 
but whether the rustiness is set in or not remains to be seen and uh, i just hope he will be a worthy challenger to magnus in the coming world championship that, that would be that would be great if that happened. Yeah. That would be fascinating. Um, and do you is there someone that you consider to be the favorite in the candidates, Ramesh? And generally, like uh, I've mentioned in many interviews, like even if uh, tomorrow, Prag and uh, Magnus play or Prag and any other player plays a game, I wouldn't pick a favorite. I just want okay. the best player to win or the one who played a good game uh, to win. So no favorites in any matches or tournaments. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, just we'll just en- enjoy the spectacle. Um, and we had one more listener question, which is from Deshaun Solomon. And this one is kind of unrelated topic, but he asks if you think it was right to ban Indian players from competing in the British Championship as a Indian who's a former British champion. <laughs> no, I think it is not for me to judge these things. Uh, every country should have uh, the freedom to form their own rules on how their national championships should be held. And uh, England uh, Association, they have taken that decision and I respect it fully and I understand the reasons for taking such decision. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And the last topic, Ramesh, is I was just sort of the Olympiad, of course, is coming up in Chennai in July. Um, And obviously, we've been talking about all of these top young Indian players. And you did a a really interesting interview with Dirk Yantan Guzantum in uh, a recent New In Chess magazine that... I definitely recommend listeners check out. Um, And you talked about what you felt like one of the reasons that India is doing so well is that that things don't come easily to um, to Indian uh, players. India still being a developing country, you felt that it really uh, motivates players to try to um, achieve greatness. But I was curious. You also mentioned that there are just chess academies all over Chennai. Um, so I was just curious if you could just describe for our listeners the the state of chess in India. I think we were, I mean, obviously we're impressed with the stature of players, but also impressed that the, you know, when the Olympiad was no longer going to be held in Russia due to the Russia-Ukrainian war, uh, very quickly the funding came together to organize it in Chennai. So I'd love to hear more about sort of just the on-the-ground perspective of the chess explosion in India. Yeah, so chess has been uh, growing phenomenally in the last couple of decades, uh, more so in the last decade, I would say, uh, largely due to one, the exploits of uh, Anand. He has been uh, world champion not once, but five times. So every time he becomes a world champion, it renews uh, the interest in the game and a new crop of uh, young players come to the game. Uh, so that is, uh, he has been a major uh, inspiring factor. And uh, the federations, the National Federation, the All Nature's Federation, and also India is divided into multiple states. And each state, most of the state federations, they are quite active in organizing different age category tournaments and the local open tournaments. And this gives a lot of uh, playing opportunities for the Indian players. And also, as I mentioned, there are uh, many academies blooming because uh, not every chess player is able to make a career uh, as a player. So at some point, uh, they want to earn more money, make a living by turning into coaches and they start their own academies. And this has had a very positive impact because uh, the lessons learned from one generation is transferring to the subsequent generations. So, and also like they are able to reach to many young children. So, and all out of this uh, large pool of competition, we are getting few players, young players who are able to make a big difference at the international level as well. And uh, yeah, so that's a uh, uh, few few reasons why chess is growing. And uh, seeing all this success, 
more private uh, investors are coming in more sponsorship is coming in for players for uh, tournaments and when uh, the olympiad uh, was cancelled in russia then asf uh, found an opportunity that we could do something uh, big in india so we have been looking for such opportunities and uh, luckily when the current olympiad cancelled uh, shrinath narayanan and uh, asf secretary uh, sir bharat singh uh, they got an appointment with the tamil nadu chief minister uh, tamil nadu is the state where uh, chennai is the capital where myself vishwanandan and where the olympiad is going to happen and within a day they gave uh, go ahead they agreed that they will fund uh, the chess olympiad uh, so that's a fantastic news and uh, the venue is going to be mahabalipuram it's uh, like few kilometers away from chennai and it's by the beach and it's one of the oldest temples in the world it was built uh, by the shore and that's one of the famous uh, tourist spots and there are many good hotels resorts uh, in that area so i think uh, it's a fantastic uh, location for the olympiad and i believe uh, all the most of the work has already been completed i visited the venue few weeks ago and already all the teams the indian federation uh, which is based in delhi they have already moved to chennai and all the officials they are uh, staying everyone has been given different responsibilities and most of the work is already complete so i'm sure uh, the players and officials and accompanying persons who are coming to india will have a great time that's amazing and and for any listeners newer to chess the olympiad is just a such a fun event to see all the top players i mean it's singular in that like out of the top, the highest percentage of say the top 1000 players of the world are in one room that you will ever see um and you know you get interesting matchups obviously because of the team dynamic and increased team spirit so i i commend everyone who helped that that come together and can't wait for the event now ramesh it being in your hometown i know you'll be helping coach the indian women's team um will you be sleeping in your own bed or will you be getting a hotel for the event <laughs> so interestingly like a uh, couple of months ago when i was uh, talking to anand we met in a public gathering and we were discussing about the olympiad he said like i just hope i'll get a nice room by the beach where i can uh, <laughs> right. go for a walk go to hit the gym hit the swimming pool <laughs> every day because uh, anand will not be uh, joining the indian team as a player Uh, he'll be mentoring uh, the indian teams so he was uh, talking about the same issue <laughs> that's funny <laughs> so, and uh, i'll be coach for the second team not the women team so india will be ah, hosting, hosting uh, two teams for men and two teams for women and uh, i'll be coach for the second team okay yeah sorry you had mentioned that earlier my my apologies um and the very last question ramesh as i mentioned earlier in our previous interview you rattled off about 20 book recommendations and of course there's recommendations uh, scattered throughout improve your chess calculation but i did want to ask cuz i know you you all, you try to stay up with the literature if there's any books that have come out in the past 2 to 3 years since our prior conversation that have caught your attention i think uh, many of the books uh all quality chess books are uh, pretty good uh, especially the gelfand's book uh, uh, on that series of three books uh, they are uh, extremely good for all levels of players and earlier i used to recommend you suppose uh, nine yes. book series uh, they are uh, pretty good even now for uh, especially players uh, probably around uh, 1200 to 2200 bracket they still hold good and uh, i have not read uh, many of the 
recent books. I could ask you about a couple that come to mind for me. Like, have you read uh, Silicon Road to Chess Improvement? Um, and and... Uh, to be honest, like uh, I stopped reading books uh, for quite some time now because uh, as a trainer, I wanted to form my own theories, my own. I wanted to explore my own way of looking at uh, many of the training improvement issues. So if I keep reading books, I could be influenced by them. So I generally, last 10 years or so, I have not been reading much chess literature, but I've been following the topics that are covered in the books, the authors, and uh, once in a while I read a few paragraphs to get an idea what they are talking about. And uh, I have spoken with my students on what books they learn, work on. So that was one of the source where I suggested these books. Uh, but I myself have not uh, worked on these books. Okay, Judith Polgar's books, they are uh, quite wow, fantastic, good yeah. as well. Yeah. And uh, I, I can see like there are uh, many old books that are uh, being reprinted like uh, Endgame Strategy, Shershevsky. Yeah. Uh, uh, so these books are also should be good. All the classics I would strongly recommend. Um, in general, I have seen uh, both uh, Quality Chess and New Inches. Their books are uh, generally very high quality and also Thinkers Publishing. Uh, these three I have been uh, following, at least the topics and the authors uh, quite regularly. They are coming up with great books. Uh, but uh, I have not uh, studied Silicon Road to Chess Improvement, but I heard from Prague it was uh, pretty decent, pretty good. So is Prague uh, reading a lot of chess books? He, not a lot, because he's working a lot on his openings and his issues. And uh, in general, like, I give him positions and he solves. Uh, so in middle game and end game, that's how the training largely goes. And he's also part of uh, Vishy Anand's Chess Academy. Uh, it's currently online where Grandmasters Yusupov, Sandipan Chanda, and Gayaski, wow. they are training Nihal Sarin, Arjun Erigesi, Gukesh, Prague, uh, Ronak, and all these youngsters. They have been part of uh, Vishyanan Chess Academy in the last one and a half years. Since January last, it, it's happening every week. The lessons are happening. And that has been largely one of the factors why all these players are making rapid progress. Amazing. All right. Well, Ramesh, it's been you've been very generous with your time. I know you're an extremely busy man and you're going to be seeing some of these players you just mentioned uh, tomorrow. So I want to thank you. The book is called Improve Your Chess Calculation. Um, definitely recommend it. Uh, uh, it. It'll keep you busy for a long time. I managed to read it, but it's one of these books where now I have to go back and actually do it <laughs> because uh, there, there's a lot to do in there and I could certainly use the work. So Ramesh, thanks as always. Congratulations on your success. And uh, we're all looking forward to uh, to watching the Olympiad in, in Chennai coming up in about a month. Yeah. Thank you, Ben, for the opportunity to interact with your audience. You've been uh, doing a great job yourself uh, interviewing uh, players, authors, coaches, and uh, adult improvers, everyone who is interested in the game. You've been uh, doing a great service for the popularity of the game. Really, thank you for the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Ramesh. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. 
big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, But most of all, thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.